Hello, I am your host, Michael Wallenmeyer, and this podcast is In Light of Eternity. Life is short. Make the most of it. Today, we're going to be talking about deconstructing your faith, and I'll tell you right off the bat that I am very caffeinated, and so I am energetic, and I am ready to go. So that's just a little bit of a warning there. But uh, truth of the matter is, I'm usually caffeinated. But we're going to be talking about deconstructionism, deconstructing your faith, or maybe in another way of putting it is losing your religion, walking away from your faith. But deconstructionism is the term, and and I recently had a friend, and I'm glad he did this. He was basically kind of saying, Michael, if you're going to, I think what he was saying is, Michael, if you're actually going to talk about this, you need to know what you're talking about. Um, and I appreciate that because I don't want to, I don't want to build a straw man of what this is all about without having knowledge, without having listened. Um, and so I, I feel like I have done that to some degree. What this friend did is he sent me a link um, from a couple guys who did a podcast. Their names are Rhett and Link, R-H-E-T-T and Link, L-I-N-K. And if you Google that, you're going to find information about them immediately. Why did he send me um, this podcast from them? He did it because these are a couple guys that deconstructed from their Christian faith. At one point in time, they were actually missionaries for Campus Crusade. They were deeply embedded in the evangelical Christian culture. Then they did a a podcast talking about how they deconstructed their faith. So here's the deal. I've been reading, listening, praying, and I think I'm ready to share with you my thoughts and ideas about this phenomenon of deconstructing your faith. And so, yes, to some degree, it will be a response to what I was hearing from them, but much, much larger than that, this, this topic overall and and um, hopefully this is helpful to you this hopefully this is helpful to you if you are in the process of deconstructing or you know people who are who are um, hopefully this will this will help in some ways I, I'm praying for that as a matter of fact uh, Alyssa Childers she defines um, deconstructionism like this quote deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew, end quote. And so there's a definition. Um, so I have a number of different ideas that I want to share with you, not really in any particular order. And again, I, I'm praying that this is... Uh, helps you to think about this topic and is a blessing to you. Number one, and I'll just real quickly hit this. Some people won't believe in God, and that has always been the case. So as we think about this idea of people walking away or people deconstructing or people not believing, we we just need to know theologically, biblically, we know that there are going to be some people who don't believe. Now, I'll tell you as a pastor, as a Christian, that grieves me. That makes me sad because... The, the, the thing that I most want for people is for them to know how amazing Jesus is. And so when that doesn't happen, that should grieve us. That is a tragedy of utmost importance. But we also just have to recognize that there will be some people that do and do not. And that is above 
um, our ability to change it uh, because that is in God's hands. That's a supernatural occurrence. So maybe that helps. Maybe it doesn't. Here's another thing I want to share with you. Um, sometimes um, I will hear, and you've probably heard this too, uh, a person talk about the church or Christians have become too political and that that is turning them off. And here's, if someone were to tell me that, here's what I would tell them. You are 100% correct. Oftentimes, the church has made politics and they've really turned it into a religion. Politics for many Christians has become an idol. I think there's going to be some people who are listening to this and that really rubs them the wrong way. I would say, good. It needs to. Um, because uh, politics have become a god for many people. And so this is a legitimate problem, and you and I, Christians in the church, we need to focus first and foremost on King Jesus, not who is the president. And so that's easy to say, but this is a big problem. We need to focus first, most, first and foremost on on the gospel, and on the kingdom of God, and understand that the methods for bringing change in this world are ultimately through the gospel and through the Great Commission. So I would, if someone is uh, wrestling with that, I would say, yeah, it's, it, it's wrong, and it is a problem, and as Christians, we need to knock it off. We need to stop it. Here's, a, here's another thing, and uh, 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 issue I want to share with you, and this is directly going back to the podcast from Rhett and Link and, and some of the things that they were talking about. One of the things that they were talking about is that, is that um, some of the archaeological evidence doesn't support the Bible. For example, uh, they were talking about um, not, not really believing the Exodus account and the Israelites leaving Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, which is obviously this is a big part of the Old Testament, right? And so they were saying, hey, man, there's we, we as we're looking at the, the evidence for this, um, it doesn't even seem that there's any biblical, not biblical, but archaeological evidence for this. OK, so I started looking into it. Um, and here's what I found. There's an Egyptologist by the name of David Roll, R-O-H-L. He wrote a book called Exodus, Myth or History. And he's doing some fascinating work rethinking the chronology of the story of the Exodus. And he's pointing to the fact that there is evidence of an Exodus by Jewish people from Egypt. And so what he is doing, he's recognizing that maybe our chronology is wrong. So the time period for which we're looking for the evidence, maybe it's not really there. And so he's doing some fascinating work. And he says, if we readjust our chronology a little bit, we're going to find, listen, all kinds of evidence for Jewish people leaving Egypt, this exodus taking place. And it just got me thinking, man, this is something that happens a lot where there are things taught in the Bible. We, we don't have um, the archaeological evidence. And then in time, we, we find, hey, there's stuff that actually backs that up. That happens. Um, I believe his name is uh, Gluck, Nelson Gluck. He, he puts it this way. It may, quote, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. 
And so what his, and that's end quote, what he's saying is there isn't archaeological evidence that is found that actually goes against the biblical account. Sometimes we do have to wait for the, the discovery to be made. Then he goes on to say this, quote, scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And so what he's saying is, I, you know what he's saying, I just, it was, he's pretty clear, is that um, many times people will say, hey, we haven't found that fact. We, we don't see the evidence for the, the leaving Egypt in the first place. But oftentimes we, we find out that there is evidence that backs it up. So we have to be real careful about that archaeological evidence stuff. And even when it comes to um, whether or not the Jews left um, um, Egypt. Here's another thing I want to share with you, and this might be kind of like hitting you out of left field, but I just found this to be an interesting um, way to think about deconstructionism. And this is, this is a quote from Brett McCracken, um, and he talks about the fact that deconstructing from your faith is not really all that countercultural. Sometimes as, as we're, a person might be moving in this direction, they, they, they think that they're going against the stream and they're doing something brand new. Listen to this quote, and it might help to change your mind a little bit. This is a lengthy quote, but it's so good. Brett McCracken, he writes this. Far from renegade, edgy, and brave, the announcement of a person's conscious uncoupling from institutional religion is simply going with the flow of a culture that mainstreamed such behavior decades ago. Rather than going against the grain of Western culture, abandoning received doctrine and institutional faith in favor of a self-styled follow-your-heart spirituality is quite smoothly with the grain. To declare one's spiritual autonomy one's unshackling from Christianity constraints and old-fashioned ideas about sin and morality is simply to nod along with Oprah and her vast tribe of suburban moms. To disown a God of limitations, boundaries, and wrath in favor of a God who only wants to fund your best life dreams and promote John Lennon-style love and good vibes is to join the ranks of frat boys obsessed with Joe Rogan, name-it-and-claim-it prosperity preachers, and the vast majority of best-selling authors in religion, spirituality, and faith of the last 20 years. So before you file divorce papers from the Christianity of your youth, know that doing so is in no way countercultural. Like marital divorce, it's thoroughly acceptable and common. I want to suggest the far more radical and truly countercultural choice isn't to abandon Christian faith because it's, it is maddening, difficult, and out of step with the contemporary zeitgeist. The radical choice is to keep the faith. And so, end quote. So I, I, I love that because what he's saying is we might be tempted to think that we're doing something that is going against culture and really walking away from the Christian faith or ab abandoning it is really 
in large numbers what we see people in our culture doing. So let's be careful thinking about that. The next thought I want to share with you is, and this I think is probably the linchpin of all of it. The Bible can be trusted. The Bible can be trusted. Um, I talked about this as I was talking about progressive Christianity, and I probably said something similar. I see this over and over again, is when, when a person starts to really question the reliability of the Bible, and they really start to make comments, or in their mind, they're really starting to wonder, can they trust the Bible? And I am not talking about whether or not um, you're on board with the arguments of in- inerrancy. I've seen people arguing that. We can, we can have different ways that we describe the Word of God, um, but the question is this, do we believe that it's trustworthy? Do we believe that it's in a position of authority over us? The answer to those questions is yes. And so what I want to do is this, um, and I'll probably type this out with uh, um, this podcast and make sure that you have this resource, but I want to mention it right now. There's a little book called Why Trust the Bible, Why Trust the Bible by Greg Gilbert, G-I-L-B-E-R-T. And I want to recommend this book to you because what I want you to do is this, is I want you and I to be real careful about your buddy, your friend, um, or some um, um, influence who is telling you that the Bible really can't be trusted. It wasn't even meant to be trusted. And then you just kind of go along with that. What I want to encourage you to do is, is to study this. And I want you to understand that the more that you study it and think about it, the more that you will realize this Bible, the Word of God, can be trusted. You know, I'll just go ahead and say it. I, 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 and, and it needs to be said is, it's, um, I believe that it really can be a spiritual attack to get us to doubt the authority of God's word. It's, it's really not unlike what was happening in the garden, right? Did God really say? Um, because if you and I are doubting God's word um, and uh, not trusting it, I mean, really, we are in serious trouble when that happens. So that's just one resource I want to recommend to you. Here's another thing, um, is doubting has become quite the trendy thing. Have you noticed that? Doubting Christianity, doubting the faith, has become a real trendy thing. Um, So more and more you will hear people say that we can't be really certain about our Christian beliefs. I saw a Christian doing this online just the other day. Like, you know, those people who are certain about their faith are really kind of bugging me. Here, listen... I want to argue that Jesus' disciples were persecuted and killed because of their strong faith, not because of their doubts. I mean, they, Jesus' disciples were willing to die for their faith, not because they were riddled with doubt and they thought that doubt was super cool, but because they believed in Jesus. And so we have to be really careful about that. Here's a question for you. Why did Jesus show Thomas his wounds? I'll ask that again. Why did Jesus show doubting Thomas his wounds? I'm going to tell you why. And this this is for certain. Because he did not want him to live in doubt. Jesus knew that it was going to be really quite impossible to live out this faith if you're walking around in doubt. Now that does not mean 
listen, it doesn't mean that it's not okay to wrestle with questions or to be honest about your questions. The church needs to be a place where we are open and ready to talk, and 100% that's true. But again, I'm talking about the pendulum going too far to the other side where, hey, this is, this is maybe how we should live, where we just really aren't certain about anything. John 20, the book that we can trust, we read this. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus ans- uh, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so I share that with you because what Jesus is trying to do is really quite obvious. He's trying to get Thomas to the place where, um, not that he never has questions again. We are always going to have questions. It's going to be aspects of Christianity that we don't understand. I can't perfectly explain to you the Trinity. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It does. But you and I, we have to know, listen, if, if we want to make an impact in this life, being riddled with doubt will mean that that's really quite unlikely. If we stay in our doubt and then begin to assume, well, maybe this is what God has for me, I want to encourage you to think about it, to read resources, to um, Ask God to help you to move beyond your doubt into a life of faith. I believe that's what God is calling us to, especially if we want to live in such a way that's going to make a difference in light of eternity. Uh, The last thing is this, is we need to focus on Jesus and his resurrection. Um, uh, Bart Ehrman is a guy who walked away from his faith. He deconstructed. Now he's a scholar and... um, uh, he has a lot of interesting things to say about uh, uh, kind of fighting against the, the, the truthfulness of Christianity. Um, one of the things that you can do, here's a suggestion, is go read stuff and watch stuff by scholar William Lane Craig. He's, he's matter of fact, done debates uh, with Ehrman. Um, he has videos, books, and articles. And here's what I want to say. There is lots of historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. There is lots of historical evidence for the resurrection. And here's, here's something interesting. Jesus, by his words in the New Testament, we see that he wholly, fully trusted in the validity of the Old Testament. And Jesus proved that he is truly the Son of God by rising from the dead, his resurrection. So all the things that he believed and said proved to be true because of his resurrection. And that applies to everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. For you and I, as you really want to hone in, what do I need to do? I'm, 
I'm wrestling and, and I, I'm hoping that you're going to move beyond your doubts into a life of faith. Focus in on Jesus. Look at the evidence for his resurrection. Ask God to draw you closer to him and help you to see him for who he truly is. I believe he will do it. So I want to say um, closing words. Thank you for listening. Um, uh, make sure you don't miss um, future podcasts. So if you can subscribe or follow on this podcast, please do so. If you would just take a moment to leave a positive review, that would be wonderful. Um, feel free to contact me at michaelwallenmeyer at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. God bless. And I hope that you have a great week.